Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Greece and Rome, and they invite you to celebrate with them. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. Greetings and welcome to Voice of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and tonight we have a great sword and sandal mythic physique lineup for you, starting with Brian Walker of Brian's Driving Theater. As all of you know, I was born at the dawn of the peplum era, and it's influenced my life ever since. Uh, these days, I use the films as inspiration and uh, energy for my workouts, and uh, they serve a very large purpose in my life. Uh, Brian's Driving Theater was one of the first sites I discovered on the Internet uh, that uh, um, glorified uh, sword and sandal or peplum films, and I became a frequent visitor over the years. I'm very honored to have Brian here with us tonight. Greetings and welcome back, Brian. Good evening, Hercules. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, um, and I'm also celebrating uh, the 21st anniversary by website. Fantastic. I'll have to post that. That is awesome news. How are you celebrating uh, the 25th year? Any plans? Um, actually, I've been um, thinking about the things that I need to do to the website. <laughs> okay. uh, I, none, of them, none of them have come to fruition yet, but uh, it's kind of re-energized me. Um, I mean, I work on the website every day, but um, I would really like to bring something new and fresh to it. And I think I've got a few ideas, if I could just find the time. Uh, I think I can you uh, perhaps add some new content to the website and you know uh, keep it viable. And this is the twenty first. I'm posting something right now. Yes, it, this is the twenty first uh, anniversary of the website. Actually, uh, Friday, February first uh, okay. was its twenty first anniversary. And you said that it was one wow. of the first websites that uh where you found you know um you know any um peplum information and 
if you think about it, it was created during the early days of what we know now as the Internet. And uh, to tell you the truth, uh, part of me is just proud that I've been able to keep it uh, going all these years, really. I mean, it's been a lot of work, um, but I've enjoyed it immensely, and I still enjoy working on it to this day. I work on it every morning, as a matter of fact. It is a phenomenal site. I love going there, and I'm looking forward to our continued tour of the site. Uh, I'm on the site now, and I'll be uh, posting links as we move through the site. Where would you like to take us to today, uh, Brian? Well, I thought we might start off with uh, some of the uh, beach party movies. Okay, sounds like a plan. Um, uh, That's that's long been a favorite of mine, and uh, I... um, Actually, uh, had several good contacts uh, over the years with some of the actors uh, profiled within the uh, Beach Party movies uh, portion of the website, including uh, Deborah Wally and uh, Aaron Kincaid. Um, Aaron actually uh, became uh, a, a, actually a very good friend. Um, and, oh, that's good. That's always uh, good. I, 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 we uh, went out to uh, visit him a number of times, uh, and his, uh, he was gracious enough to invite us to his home in Beverly Hills. Uh, he prepared dinner for us on a number of occasions and was just a, a wonderful man. Uh, he took us on uh, his own personalized uh, tours of uh, Hollywood and West Hollywood to, to more or less show us where all the bodies were buried. And he, he knew uh, so much about the history uh, of, of you, the town itself. And also uh, through Aaron, uh, I met uh, another um, really uh, terrific actress who became a, a good friend. Uh, her name was uh, Quinn O'Hara. Uh, and Quinn also invited us uh, to her home, and she knew where some of the other bodies were buried. And it was just great fun to, to meet these people and talk with them. You know, sadly, um, Deborah Wally, uh, Aaron Kincaid, and Quinn O'Hara have all since passed. Um, but I'll treasure uh, the memories that uh, I have of them, you know, uh, forever. Uh, it was um, a, a really uh, fantastic time in my life to, to meet these people. I've been watching them my whole life, and, and to get to meet them and to be in, invited into their homes was just fantastic. I, I can't tell you how much that meant to me. Oh, that, that is an awesome thing. I've gotten to meet many of uh, the people that uh, I've admired uh, um, on screen and off screen, and I've become friends with a few of them as well. So I know exactly what that feels like. It's an, it's an awesome feeling. And, you know, it's even better when you meet somebody and they not only live up to your expectations, they actually exceed it. And that's, yeah. that has that has actually been my experience with uh, most of the people I have met through my website. They've actually been even better than I could have hoped. Which is as it should be. Well, I've, I've been a fan of yours for many years and here we are having these monthly conversations. So uh, you kind of fit into the same uh, category in my estimation. Well, and we'll actually have to meet at some point. Uh, I'm in New Jersey uh, two or three times a year. and um, awesome. We're together. I, I'm sure you're not in the Pittsburgh area very often. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that, that, uh, and actually I was uh, planning, a, I am planning a trip to the Jersey Shore uh, later on uh, this year, so maybe we'll be able to make something happen. 
That'd be fantastic. So I'm and, at the uh, move. Now. I'm sorry. I'm at the beach party uh, page now, and I remember a lot of these movies. They were a lot of fun. They were, and you know, as a movie genre, it didn't last very long. Uh, no. You only, you only had beach movies for about three, maybe four years. Um, they started off with the original uh, movie uh, Beach Party in 1963 with uh, Annette Funicello and uh, Frankie mm-hmm. Avalon. And there were some imitators. Some of the imitators uh, were fun movies as well. But, you know, by, I would say, 1966, uh, you know, that movie genre had passed. It had faded. And, you know, it kind of represented uh, a time in uh, American culture where, you know, uh, if you think back to 1963, American culture was still pretty innocent. And in just a few years' time, you know, things uh, in our culture had changed so radically that I guess the innocence of the beach party movies got, led to their demise, you know, really, with, with the cultural shifts and such. Yeah. I remember one of them uh, was, uh, there was spoof, like Beach uh, Blanket Bingo. Uh, I remember it was a horror movie. I think it was called Beach Maggot Bingo or something like that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there were several very clever spoofs of these uh, movies uh, that happened when our innocence was lost and uh, we got into weirder waters. Uh, and, and that's one I haven't seen uh, or, or heard of for that matter. But um, they they were, I mean, those movies were a lot of fun. They really were. And and if you want, go back and watch them now, uh, they were so innocent. And actually, there, there's something enjoyable. I mean, there's something I really enjoy. There's something I get it that get, I get out of all of that innocence. Um, and, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love, you know, gritty horror films and crime dramas and such, but, you know, occasionally you want something that's just kind of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that might not be uh, all that demanding uh, of your intellect, but it's still very enjoyable anyway. Carrie Fisher did a great spoof of this uh, genre on Saturday Night Live. She was uh, Princess Leah, and uh, they introduced Star Wars uh, elements into it. Um, And I'm trying to remember some lyrics. Uh, uh, She was singing, uh, I want to wear a two-piece bathing suit. I want to find a guy who's really cute. And uh, the refrain was Obi-Wan Kenobi, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know, people were singing along. Again, it it was a very clever spoof of this genre. Uh, and it worked very well on Saturday Night Live. Well, you know, it, going back even uh, farther than that, uh, on the Carol Burnett show, and I remember watching this uh, as a kid, uh, she did a uh, spoof on uh, Beach Blanket Bingo as well. And she, I think Steve Lawrence was uh, the guest star uh, that week, and he assumed the um, uh, Frankie Avalon role and um, – Carol Burnett uh, was in the Annette Funicello role. It was really funny. I haven't seen it since I was a child, but I recall it being very funny. I I recall that also. I used to watch Carol Burnett a lot as a kid. And uh, moving on, I'm sorry. 
do you anticipate this uh, genre being further spoofed or uh, making uh, like a retro comeback at any point, uh, maybe with outer space elements or, or fantasy elements? Uh, no, no, I don't, because I think the Beach Party movies really belonged to a particular time in American culture, and um, I, watching one of them you know, allows you to re- revisit that time. But um, I, I think that you know we've moved on. Uh, it, certainly, our culture has, and I just don't, I just don't see American culture becoming that innocent again. You know. And, you know, at the time, um, Americans didn't travel as much as they do now. And, you know, there, were, there was a host of, you know, people, let's say in the Midwest, where I'm originally from, who might never have gotten to go to uh, the West Coast Beach or an East Coast Beach, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that time, you know, certainly passed as well. Um, I, I, but I do think that... You know, historically, uh, they're great movies to watch, but no, I, I don't. I really don't see that genre coming back around. Onwards. <laughs> <laughs> now, what? Now, a genre that really has been around for a long time, uh, uh, and one of my favorites is film noir. Uh, I love crime dramas, and uh, those are you know, still around today. Uh, they might not be, you know, shot in black and white as they were, um, you know, many years ago. Uh, but that's a, a real favorite of mine. I, I love mysteries anyway, and uh, and crime dramas are, are just fantastic uh, to watch. Uh, there are so many different machinations with the plots, and um, there are so many twists and turns, and it, it demands, you know, a, a lot of the viewer. You, you're having to you know, uh, assemble the the puzzle pieces and put them all together. Um, and, and it does sort of draw you in and it makes you, you know, more of an active uh, viewer. And I, I, I'm a huge fan of film noir uh, movies. I, I can almost always watch one. Um, and some of my uh, favorites are, you know, uh, some of the uh, Alan Ladd uh, titles like This Gun for Hire, uh, which I think is just a terrific noir. Um, but there were a lot of even low-budget, um, you know, crime dramas and noir vehicles. They didn't cost that much to produce. You didn't need, uh, you know, lots of special effects. And uh, the lighting that uh, some of the, some of the um, you know, directors employed kind of covered up for the fact that maybe the sets might have been a little sparse. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, um, you uh Film noir sort of lent uh, lent, it, lent itself to B movie film production because they they were pretty easy to turn out. They were a great great deal of fun to watch. It almost guaranteed you an audience. You know, if you had a film noir with a couple of you know pretty pretty good uh, actors. Yeah, I remember the uh, they were very. Uh, um... They, they were dreamlike in their black and white uh, dramatic storytelling and the way they were they were filmed. It was something uh, it, it kind of like like an alternate dimension about them. And me, another anyway. thing that uh, well, I, I agree. And another thing that I appreciate about some 
you know, noir films is that oftentimes you would get a strong female character. Um, and she, you never, you, you're never quite sure which side of the law she was on, uh, but, you, but you almost always had some strong female characters. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in those films, the uh, plot would actually resolve, would revolve around the actions of you know some of those strong female characters. Um, now, sometimes they were, you know, uh, instead of um, they weren't always the protagonists. Unfortunately, oftentimes they were antagonists. Uh, mm-hmm. But still, I mean, to see. Um, you know, uh, like an actress like Elizabeth Scott, who was one of my favorite uh, actresses in, in film noir. Uh, she's very mysterious, and you couldn't take your eyes off of her. Um, you know, when you're watching uh, one of her noirs, I mean, she's just spectacular. She kind of commands, you know, your attention. And that's that's another uh, fascinating feature I find with uh, the noir films. And uh, these have been imitated over the years where they've filmed uh, special black and white uh, movies. Uh, Not that many, but there's more than a handful uh, that kept uh, uh, this uh, genre or this uh, particular way of portraying uh, uh, crime drama reality um, alive. And, you know, one of my favorites was a Steve Martin film from about, I would say about 40 years ago called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Yes, yes, yes. I, I I thought that was brilliant, and is I I, I think I, if I recall right, that wasn't that was shot in black and white. Am I correct about that? If I'm remembering I'm thinking correct, it was. Yes, it was. Or or if it was shot in color, it evoked uh, black black and white to such a degree that both of us uh, remember it that way, which is amazing. Well, I, I'm I'm going to pretend that it was shot in black and white, and I'm almost sure that it was. I mean, I, I remember watching it. Oh gosh, that I think that was in rotation on HBO back in the day. Um, in like the I said, day. maybe about forty about forty years ago, and I, I loved the film. And it was one of those movies that unfortunately didn't linger uh, too too long at uh, my local cinema, and I, I didn't get to see it. And I was so excited uh, when it was on HBO, and I finally got to watch it. And it was one of those movies that was even better. Uh, than I had uh, thought it would be, and I probably watched it 50 times you know, <laughs> as a teenager. But uh, just because I, I liked the plot conceit so much, and it was so well done. Um, if you took a couple of, if you took some of the sight gags out of it, it could have been played as a straight crime drama, and I don't think the audience would have been any wiser. It was just, it was just beautifully done. So much uh, attention to detail. Uh, I I just don't think it was almost a perfect movie. I'm not sure it could have been made any better. Do you think that will continue to be uh, honored uh, as Steve Martin did? Because that was an excellent uh, production. And you're right, even though it was a comedy, it was film noir at its uh, its highest. Do you think that that will be something that people continue to... uh, um, pay homage to like the Peplum films there, there are not as many as there were before 
Um, but uh, they're, they're still homage to the uh, sword and sandal uh, historical uh, uh, genre. And superhero films have, have now risen to such a point where they're uh, consuming our entertainment. Um, so uh, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but I still enjoy the old um, uh, serialized uh, uh, movies, you know, the, uh, Captain America and the uh, uh, Shazam and all that stuff. I, I love those as well. And, and Batman and Robin well, bearing guns and being driven in an ordinary car by by Alfred. Those are classics. <laughs> they are. And I think that, well, you know, uh, genres come and go. Uh, some of them do have significant staying power, however. And, and I really do think that uh, the heart of noir is crime drama. And I, I think we'll always have those because – because of the mystery elements um, and, and because, you know, uh, crime dramas do tend to, you know, really draw the audience in. And, um, you know, as you pointed out, uh, the superhero films, I mean, that has just exploded. Um, yes. You know, it, it, beyond my wildest dreams. And, uh, I mean, who would have thought that, you know, 70 years well, actually, a little more than seventy years now, after the first uh, you know Batman uh, serial, that we would still be doing reboots of Batman. But but it you is a fascinating character, and you know, if you look at it from the point of a character study, um, you know, some of the superhero films are just there's just so much content there that you can mine. Uh, yes, that, that you can bring to that you can bring to the audience, and I know a, a lot of it is you know things that explode, and 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 I, I got to admit I'm a big fan of that myself. Me um, too. But you but but there's a lot that you can do with you know the complexities of the character, and I, I, there's just so much that you can work with in that genre. Um, and you know, it's popular you know, the world over. They they are, and it's amazing that uh, they've they've been accepted universally uh, throughout the world, with uh, box office coming, uh, um, you know, a, a contribute a, a considerable amount of box office coming from places like China and uh, the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you if you think about it for you know a minute or so. Um, we have all of this access to uh, news and information, and I hate to say it, but the, you know, most of the news that we see, 99% of it is usually in a negative light, and thinking that there might be some being out there who uh, will be able to you know, rescue us from this peril is a really comforting thought. Yes, it is. And I, and I think it's actually a very uh, optimistic Thought as well, uh, to think that well, you know, there's this you know super being out there who is going to you know rush in and make everything right again and uh, br- bring justice to a situation. Uh, I-, I think that that's it's, I- and I'm an optimist at, at heart as well, and, and I-, I think that's just a, a wonderful. I, that's just a wonderful uh, plot for a film. I really do. I really think it is ultimately very uplifting. I know, uh, I know. There's a you know a huge dark side to you know most um, 
uh, superhero films. Um, and, and most of those characters, you know, even the protagonists, have a dark side. I mean, you know, Batman, you know, uh, yeah. an immense dark side there. Um, but like I said, I, I really do think it's rooted in optimism. And I think that anything that is optimistic, where, you know, good will uh, prevail over evil, uh, is worth a watch. Uh, as do I, and the uh, the tie into mythology and religion was brilliantly explored in a book called Our Gods Wear Spandex, uh, which explored mm-hmm. the whole uh, mythical and even uh, religious nature uh, of uh, the superheroes in uh, popular culture. And, and that's an excellent tie-in. I mean, you're, you are spot on uh, with that. And, and it does go back to the peplum, where, where you have that that protagonist, where you have. Um, well, we'll take uh, you know uh, Steve Reed's Hercules film, where he is mm-hmm. you know, actively going out and trying to, you know, uh, create. Um, he's trying trying to right some wrongs and trying to create uh, you know some positive change. And I, I just wish that uh, audiences. Uh, would would take heed of that and maybe you know emulate that protagonist a little bit you know go out go out one day and you know try to fix something that you think is wrong uh, try to make a difference and I, I think that's a wonderful message for any audience uh, you know uh, the world over and I think there's a lot to be learned from it as well. Um, as do I, and I've devoted a lot of my time to, to trying to live that uh, message, so I've taken it to heart. Uh, and as uh, during our conversations, I've also seen that the same message uh, echoes out through the Westerns and through the uh, uh, martial arts movies as well, where usually it's an individual uh, you know, going out there and, and confronting the evils of their day and trying to fix things. Uh, um, you know, going contrary to the culture and the expectations of the culture and actually going there and caring and through whatever their gifts are, uh, changing things to the better. And you're absolutely right about that. I mean, no matter what the uh, setting is and no matter what the trappings are, um, a lot of these stories are at at their heart the same, you know, where you have – you know, a, a protagonist who is, you know, faced um, with a dire situation and it's up to her or him to go out and make a difference. And it's thrilling to watch that, you know, and, and to see that in 90 minutes or, or two hours or something like that. But but as you know, it's usually uh, that's a lifelong effort and not something that can be resolved uh, quickly like that but it is fascinating to see you know that on film and and, and to watch you know uh, a movie where you have this you know strong central character who is basically good who who might be flawed but basically good and is trying to do what's right very awesome and i'm looking at the clock we're down to our last uh, four minutes um if you can kindly give your contact information uh, and leave us with a profound thought for the day that would be greatly appreciated. Okay, uh, it is easy to uh, find me on social media. Um, my platform of choice is uh, Facebook, and if you go into uh, Facebook and run a search, you will find Brian's Drive-In Theater there. And uh, you please follow me or even friend me if you like. 
And on the web, you can find me at brianstrivingtheater.com. As I said, I do up, I do update the website every day, 365 days a year. And um, I am very responsive uh, to those people who stop in and see the website. If they have questions, I'll try to answer them. And if they want to make comments, I think that's fantastic. Thank you again and for an incredibly awesome show. Yes, and happy anniversary. Oh, thank you very much, Hercules. I appreciate it. And was there something else you wanted to say? Yeah, I just wanted to say this. Um, one of my favorite actresses uh, passed away uh, yesterday. Uh, her name is Julie Adams. Uh, she was in you know, so many of my favorite films. Uh, the one that most people, the, the film of hers that resonates with most people is uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. But I mean, she did you know, far more films than that. She was a great favorite of mine. And um, she lived a good long life. She was 92 uh, years old when she passed. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of these people who are profiled uh, on my website are gone now. Most most of them, when I started the website, were still with us. Um, but if, if there's somebody, an actor from the past, uh, whom you know you are a big fan of, and that person is still alive. If there's an easy, convenient way to contact that person, not, not to hassle her or him, but just to tell them, hey, look, you know, I, I loved your work. You, you know, you, um, I, I'm a big fan of everything you've done. I think it would really, it really make this, it would really make their day. And just to let them know how much you appreciated them, I think would be a wonderful effort, uh, you know, on the part of any fan. Just you, read, <laughs> you, you read my mind from my friend. Uh, I was going to talk to you about that during the break because uh, our tour will be completed in a show or two. Um, and now we're circling some familiar uh, territory again. Um, and I was thinking of uh, how about we look for the folks that are still around and we honor them on the show uh, through an interview. And if they're not up to being uh, interviewed with uh, some sort of like a bunch of tribute shows uh, to draw attention to the details of their accomplishments and to thank them for all the wonderful moments they gave us and continue to give us. That's a fantastic idea. I'm on board with that. Awesome. So to be continued, thanks again, Brian. Have an awesome day. You too, and we'll chat soon. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and to those okay, good night. Home, good night. Uh, we're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Cauldron Born, um, and then we're going to speak with Ryan Foley, bodybuilder, graphic novelist, author.
Who feel the powers of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy and shades of the night Hear the call of our ancestors of blood and bone Of womb and tomb and standing stone Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Deep within this darkened hall Hear the goddess Herod when called the powers of earth, sea and sky, of dragon and fairy and shades of the night, he calls to his ancestors of blood and bone, of womb and tomb and standing stone. Lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell, deep within Of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. A charm of silver, the gypsies Chanting words 
to the powers of earth, sea and sky Of dragon and fairy in shades of the night We call to our ancestors of blood and bone Of womb and tomb and standing stone Lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Deep within this darkened hall Hear the goddess Kerid when called Come and taste of the cauldron's brew And magic she will give to you You will dance in the eye of the storm Your Kerid when's children The cauldron born Oh lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell The cauldrons brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. You're the cauldron Today is our Sword and Sandal and Mythic Physique special, which now is half the month, actually. This week and next week, uh, we'll both be focusing on uh, these uh, topics, and I'm very happy that that's happening. And our other Optimal Wellness topics are the first Wednesday of the month on one of our sister shows, The Elysium Project. So welcome today. It is my great honor uh, to have with us uh, Ryan called The Epic Saga of Ryan Foley, um, and uh, welcome, Ryan. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. I've been looking forward to speaking with you. Me too. Uh, I, I really enjoy uh, speaking with you, and as I pointed out to uh, um, our previous uh, guest, uh, uh, Brian, um, I'm a fan of yours. Uh, I, I was a fan of yours before we connected uh, and I interviewed you on the show and I reviewed uh, your books and uh, now you're a regular on uh, the podcast. Uh, and uh, it, it is an amazing feeling when you link up with somebody that you admire, you know, whose work that uh, you admire. And I'm very happy to be having these uh, conversations uh, with you. And uh, uh, aside from the mythic, we share the passion of uh, um, lifting weights, and uh, that's a whole other facet uh, to explore. So I'm glad that we're finally exploring it. I'm, I'm more than happy to offer any advice that I can to your listeners. Thank you very much. Um, currently, I've taken a, a short break from my routines, uh, and I started uh, uh, getting back into them. Uh, I studied uh, some new old uh, type of bodybuilding. As I get older, I'm not able to uh, lift the weights uh, uh, that are as heavy as the ones that I'm accustomed to. 
uh, but I'm finding that uh, the um, pre-steroid bodybuilding uh, has been very fruitful in giving me uh, things that I can do. Uh, some of the things were dangerous, like uh, drinking a gallon of milk a day uh, and eating uh, uh, uncountable oranges and other citrus fruits. I think uh, those two practices pushed me over the edge with diabetes. Uh, but you live and you learn. Uh, and, uh, you know, all in all, that's been a very productive uh, journey. And uh, I've been continuing uh, with that. But I really love uh, the weights. And uh, I've never, uh, even when very heavily into the Charles Atlas, uh, I've never given up the weights uh, totally. The weights are always there because I love the iron game. Well, I, I think that um, there's a lot of people out there, they have a, a variety of theories. And I'm amazed at the, the level of information that we have at our fingertips now, where you can go through and you can do research on the internet and see yeah. how a true professionals go through and, and they develop their own workouts. And the, what I've always tried to ascribe to is, is almost treating it uh, almost like a Chinese buffet where you decide you're going to go through and you can look at someone's workout and see what they do. And then you can incorporate the things that you like and, and cast aside the things that you don't. Now I'm not advocating that you, that you steer away from the things that are difficult but, I mean, if you're going to go in there and you want to have dedication to a, to a program for weeks after weeks and, and hopefully months after months and, and maybe even years after years, you have to do stuff that you like. You have to do stuff that you enjoy. And, and you need to do things. I, I know there's a lot of people that just, unfortunately, they go into, into the gym with this mindset of, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm here because I have to be. Uh, you can just tell there's, there's not a whole lot of joy on their face whenever they go through. And so now th there is a, a variety of, of different programs that are out there, and it, it all depends on what your fitness goals are. I know that CrossFit has really uh, risen in popularity over the last decade, and uh, I, I have not done CrossFit myself just because I look at a, at a CrossFitter's physique and that's not the aesthetic that I'm attempting to achieve, much the same way that uh, the aesthetic of a, of a power lifter is also not something that I'm attempting to achieve. I'm, I'm attempting to achieve that bodybuilder physique. And, and the best way that you can do that, again, is resistance training is the word that they like to, to throw around because I, I think it sounds fancier. It's, it's a lot. It's the same way as, uh, oh, no, no, I don't write comic books. I'm a graphic novelist, you know, because, uh, oh, if, if I write a comic book, uh, it doesn't carry the same weight, the same gravitas. Whereas if I say, uh -huh. oh, I, I, do, I do graphic novels, oh, well, okay, then, you know, you must be a, 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 you know, a serious writer then. Uh, so that resistance training uh, is the, the fancy way of saying lifting weights. And I feel that if you can go through, I know there's a lot of people out there, they absolutely love their cardio, and I know how it's necessary. Uh, but I, I can't stand it. Oh, I just, I, I, I can't stand the, the monotony of cardio. And so uh, standing on the shoulders of uh, certain geniuses of, uh, in the field of bodybuilding, I've gone through and, and looked at how they put their workouts together. And so I attempt to use what's called antagonistic sets. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm not a big fan of the, the steroid uh, just the, the sheer mass of the bodybuilders uh -huh. that, are, that are popular these days. I still feel that Schwarzenegger is the, the greatest bodybuilder of all time. 
But if you go through and you do a, a if you are, and your listeners to go through and do an image search of uh, Frank Zane, uh, just a, an amazing aesthetic, uh, and it, but it was all about it was it was all about muscle proportion. Uh, Schwarzenegger uh, preached that in in his book where he talks about how your you know, your biceps need to be the same circumference as your calves. So what you're looking for is is body symmetry, and whenever that body symmetry is not there, it's not a, as aesthetic as aesthetically a pleasing. Uh, sort of like uh, not to if um, so if, if you can tell a guy that never does legs, uh, you can always if they have the little tiny chicken legs, but they've got big broad shoulders and big broad arms. It just it doesn't look quite right because they don't right. have that that aesthetic. So what I attempt to do is what's called antagonistic sets. And uh, so for every time that let's say if you're doing a bench press, so I'll go through and I'll do my reps uh, for, for the bench press. And then as soon as I'm done, I immediately move to, let's say, like a seated table row. So that way, uh, for, every t- for every time that I'm doing a push, I'm going to counter that push with a pull where I'm going to take the weight from, you know, with my arms extended, I'm going to pull it into my chest. So that way I'm working not only my chest, but my, but then while my chest is resting after that, that set, then I immediately move to the, to the back exercise. And by doing that, it keeps my heart rate elevated because we all know that's, that's the goal is that you want to have that heart rate elevated. So that way you can burn fat. And that's always been my goal is, is to hopefully go through and, and reduce. Uh, I, I want to preserve my muscle mass, but I want to try to reduce the amount of fat. So that's uh, admittedly, that's one of the hardest things that you can do. But by doing yeah. that, by doing those antagonistic sets, you're working on muscle symmetry and you're also keeping your heart rate elevated. So there's two different schools of thought where, you know, hey, I can jump on here and I can do the cardio machine. And I can listen to a podcast or, you know, I can listen to my music and, and that's, that's okay for me in, in the short term. But at the end of the day, I'd rather do those antagonistic sets and keep my heart rate elevated because then when I get done, not to, you know, to sound vain, but I, I can go through and I can flex in the mirror and I can say, Hey, all right, look at that. You know, it's, I've, I've done some good hard work as opposed to just uh-huh. working on a cardio machine, which yeah, just, it gets a little boring after a while. So this would be like doing back and chest in the same uh, workout, right? Uh, where yeah, you push uh, the chest yeah. and pull for the back um, to do like the the slanted rows. Uh, um, I used to like doing those with a machine. Uh, so so basically, or or then buys and then tries. That would be another example of antagonistic sets. Am I correct? Uh, that's. That, that's a good one because uh, so that way you're making sure that you're getting those well-rounded, uh, well-rounded arms. The other antagonistic set would be uh, anytime you do an overhead press, uh, so okay. like, like a military press, uh, then I go through and I partner that with, say, like a lat pull-down. Uh, okay. Now, unfortunately, I, I'm not strong enough in order to, to do an extensive amount of pull-ups. I know that pull-ups are really, I mean, that's, that's the real testament to, to strength right there. But, again, my goal is fat loss. So, for me, it's not so much about heavy weight uh, as much as it's, it's lightweight with high reps. So, therefore, right. since, I can't do, since I can't do pull-ups, uh, you know, for 12 and 15 and, and 20 sets at a time, I'll switch it up and I'll, and I'll do a lat pull-down. So, that way I'm making sure that I'm, I'm balancing 
So for every time I'm doing an overhead press, then I'm going through and doing a lat pull down as well. I, I wish I could tell you that I had a good example of antagonistic sets when it comes to legs, but legs are, are a little bit more of, of a different animal because uh, yes. your, your exercises like your squats and, and your deadlifts are working so many muscles all simultaneously. It's what's called a combination lift. It's where you're working multiple joints at the same time with a single lift. So legs are just about muscling through and, and getting it done as best you can because that's always the, the hardest thing to do. Yes, that, that is uh, the hardest thing to do. Um, what I found works uh, with me, uh, and I was very uh, surprised, is uh, I will stick to like Reg Park's 5x5 uh, five five, um, routine, uh-huh. but amount of rest he gave himself was way too much. I find that if I rest as recommended, uh, I wind up losing my motivation. Whereas if I'm working out uh, twice a day, I feel great. Uh, So uh, um, I go off that and try something else for a while and it never works uh, as well for me as just like working out twice a a day. So I will do the five by fives um, twice a week as recommended but then I'll supplement them with all sorts of uh, um, lighter uh, weight, high rep uh, exercises. And I found that that uh, keeps me motivated and uh, uh, keeps the muscles growing. So I don't know if it worked for anybody else, but for me that worked really well. I I think you're you're definitely on the right track there because what they say is that uh, according to the the research, you're supposed to go through roughly about once, uh, all about every eight weeks or so. And you want to go through and, and essentially really in an ideal world, you would go through and tear down your workout completely and rebuild it with something new. So that way you're shocking your muscles into doing something different. So that way uh, they don't get, they don't get too stagnated. Uh, right. it's basically it's, it's called the law of diminishing returns. And I was explaining this to a friend of mine about how whenever you first get started and you're going through and, 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 for for your listeners, if you are if you're contemplating just getting started, the absolute best advice that I can give to anyone who's listening is to check your ego at the door. It doesn't right. matter how much weight you're lifting. What matters is the amount of effort that you're putting into those lifts. I I tell my kids all the time, hey, if if you're a C student and you bring me C's, that's okay. If, if a C is the absolute best that you can do, that's absolutely fine. But now if you can get an A and you come home with C's, now I'm disappointed because you didn't live up to the maximum of your potential. And so if you're just getting started and all you can lift is five pounds, that's absolutely fine as long as you're giving it all you can. But conversely, if you can go through and you can lift 15 pounds and you're only lifting five pounds, then you're doing yourself the disservice. So it's, it's about maximizing those lifts. But so when you get started, you go through and, and say you can only lift the five pound weights and you go, okay, all right, well, I'm, I'm just going to continue to work my way up and I'm going to continue to get stronger. And as you do that, you're going to find that you're going to start working your way up that weight rack and suddenly you've left the fives behind and now you're into the 15s and eventually you get into the 25s. And so you're feeling really good about yourself, but then you're going to reach what's it's called the, the law of diminishing returns. And you're going to get to that point where in order to get from that 40 pound weight 
up to the 45-pound weight is going to seem like it took just as much effort to go up five pounds as it did for you to go from five pounds to 30 pounds. You know, so, because in the beginning, once your muscles start understanding what you're wanting them to, to do, they'll grow and they'll expand quite quickly. But then you can find that you're – Oh, your motivation might might you know reduce just a little bit because that that progress has started to slow, and then eventually once you get to that point where you're trying to go from the 45 pounds to the 50 pound dumbbell, it it takes weeks upon weeks in order for you to develop that stamina. But that's okay. So going through and, and shocking your muscles like you're doing, uh, you know, by by tearing down and doing something different on a regular basis. That's an absolutely fantastic strategy. Uh, one of my favorite bodybuilders, he's a, he's a bodybuilder, uh, actor, professional wrestler, is John Cena. And you can look yeah. at Cena's body of work, literally, pun intended, and you can tell that he knows what he's talking about. And so uh, one of the things that John Cena often preaches is be comfortable in the uncomfortable. If you're going through and doing something that – that hurts and is painful, that's good because that means growth. And, and like Schwarzenegger always said, no pain, no gain. Very true. You have a blog or, or a few blogs, if I remember correctly, um, where you uh, chronicle your adventures and your journey. And I'd love to share that uh, with people. Um, I tried Googling a few things and I couldn't locate it. Uh, can you give me the address and I'll direct people to it? Uh, yeah, what, what I could do is uh, a- after the interview is over, I can certainly uh, – because I, I can't remember it just right offhand, but as soon as okay. the interview is over, I can, I can make sure to send that to you, and, uh, and so that way you can list it there on the, on the Facebook page. I- I'd love to uh, – oh, basically awesome. what it is, uh, with, it, it's a program that I call Fury and Strength. Uh, Fury uh-huh. and Strength was, was something yeah. that, that – it's developed after the, the, the Alpha Furians, uh, yeah, in, in the Riddick saga because I'm a, I'm a big sci-fi geek. Uh, but uh, so what I did, it, I, you know, I got to a point where I was doing this so much and it became so engrossing of my time. I felt that it was kind of my, uh, you know, th- that's what I needed to do. I needed to share this information. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I was just listening to, to a guy today and he was talking about it's, uh, th- oh, the theory that he used is sell the game. Uh, and it's actually, it's a term from hockey. Uh, where if you love the game, you're going to sell the game. You want to get right. other people I- into that game to say, hey, this is what I like, this is what I enjoy. And, it, and so I, it's kind of the same way. I, I want to promote how good that bodybuilding has done for me. And, and it sounds weird for me to even use that term in, in a sentence to describe myself as being a bodybuilder because I, I feel like uh, I, I don't have, I don't have that aesthetic yet that I'm, that I'm attempting to achieve. And so, and, and I don't want to come across as like a, a fraud or, or anything like that, but you know, I want to go through and, and share with people what I've done with this and, and how it has improved my life, not just at a physical aspect, although I know that while that is extremely important, it has helped me more, emotionally it has helped me more mentally it has improved my confidence uh i I walk with uh not an not an arrogance but there's there's a stride there's there's a pride in my walk Mm -hmm. and i know it's because of this program that i've done and when i first got started i was i I felt like a fraud i you know I, i just like i felt like i shouldn't be there 
Uh, but I knew I that, know that why. was exactly where I... Your pictures show that you're definitely on that journey. I mean, there's no doubt. Uh, looking at uh, uh, your photographs on your Facebook page, that that is the road that you're on. And well, uh, thank you for that. I, I think that the biggest problem that we come across is that it's we're so we're so in tune with ourselves because we see ourselves on a daily basis. So therefore, it's harder for us. To, to see that small incremental improvement. But whereas if you run across someone who you haven't seen in six months and, and, right. they, and they look at you and go, whoa, man, you know, what have you been doing? You know, it's, so it's kind of one of those things that just we can't see it because we are so close to ourselves. And so it's, it's nice for a, a stranger even to come along and say, hey, you know, it's, you're really putting in the work here and it, and it shows. And it's so, but it's, it's a weird thing. I know a lot of people, I, I think those who are not inside the community, it's harder for them to see it and to understand it. Uh, because I think a lot of people, they see all the mirrors in a, in a gym. Uh-huh. And, and I think that they perceive it's because, oh, well, cause these guys are all in there flexing and they're all egotistical and they're vain and look at them. They're all, all posing and, and things like that. Where actually it's the exact opposite. Whereas when I'm going through and and I do just a, a small amount of posing at at the end of my workouts, but I do uh-huh. that because I'm 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 being critical of myself. I'm looking okay. All right, I need to get, you know, this needs to be a little slimmer, and you know, I need to lose I need to lose weight a little here. You know, so I'm looking for those those personal flaws solely for an attempt to to improve myself to say okay, what do I really need to work on. And so I think it's just it's that different attitude. If you were on the outside walking past and looking in, I think I could see how people could go that route. But once you get in it and you're trying to to make those improvements, it's it's not an egotism thing at all. It's it's more along the lines of how can I get better? How can I improve? Where are my weaknesses? And unfortunately, the ego does not like that in the least bit. The <laughs> ego wants to tell you that you're fine just the way you are. And you're perfect. And hey, man, just sit on the couch and watch that TV show. You're fine. You're good. You know, enjoy that snack. Because the ego doesn't like pain. The ego doesn't like to to be made to feel like it is inferior in any sort of way. And so there are times where you have to push that demon out, you know, and go, no, I, I'm not perfect the way I'm at. I want to get a little better, or at the very least, I want to maintain at least. And so that's where, and that's where you have to have that drive to push yourself into the gym every day. And that's, that, that's what I enjoy. And that's why I'm in there uh, five days a week. And uh, you're looking awesome. I can see that from the pictures. And I can't wait to throw the link to the Furian site. Um, we're down to our last two minutes. So are there any last uh, uh, words of advice you'd like to uh, share? Uh, any contact information? Uh, the, the way that you promote me here on uh, on your show and, and through your Facebook is absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's Thank probably you. really the best way. Uh, and, and if I was just going to impart a, a bit of, of closing advice, it would simply be, man, start. It's the hardest <laughs> thing in the world, but, but just start. I don't care if you're lifting five pounds. I don't care if you need help, if you need a buddy, if you need advice. You know, reach out to people because it, it's very hard for us as human beings to admit that we don't know something or that we don't know what we're doing. But if you can, but if you can swallow that ego and swallow that pride, and then just start. I mean, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, 
And if you start tomorrow, you're going to look a year from now, you know, and say, man, I wish I would have started earlier. But, you know, yeah. by, do, by doing that, I think you're going to see a road of, of improvement, not only in the physical. And while that is important, emotionally, it will make you incredibly strong and it will make you much more satisfied with yourself in the long run. Very well said and powerfully said. I was looking through the songs and I found one called Valhalla. Uh, I haven't uh, heard it before, but hopefully it will uh, um, reverberate with uh, your inspiring uh, words. Thanks again, Ryan. I look forward to our conversation continuing next week. Uh, Be well, my friend. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. This was a great honor. And I appreciate your coming on. A great honor here as well. Um, we're going to hear Valhalla now, and then we'll be back with Bill Hinburn of Super Strength Training. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and this is our Sword and Sandal Mythic Physique special, which was once a month, and now it's half the month. The first two weeks of every month are devoted to this topic, and we also have an optimal wellness show the first Wednesday of the month on the Elysium Project. Uh, I am greatly honored to announce our last guest for tonight, Mr. Bill Hinburn of Super Strength uh, Training. Uh, Bill is a living legend who almost single-handed has preserved the lore of the pre-steroid bodybuilding age and has made it accessible to everybody. Greetings and welcome, Bill. How are you? Good evening, Hercules. How have you been? I've been awesome. How have you been? We're having warmer weather, too, which was surprising. Yeah, it uh, it got really interesting there for a while. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting weeks of cold. <laughs> and all of a sudden today I had a vest on, and that was pretty much it for the whole day. Indeed, it got down around 16 below here. Now, we had a very interesting conversation off the air, and I, I wish we'd recorded it. You, you, you were... Um, we're both sharing such great stories and imparting uh, such uh, great uh, insights and information. Uh, so I figure we'll continue it a little bit on the show, uh, blend it in with the original topic, which was feats of strength. Uh, so I realized after we spoke that you were speaking about more than keeping fit. You were speaking about a whole way of uh, approaching life, like a pioneer. Um, you know, and uh, I really enjoyed that conversation, and it gave me a lot to think about. Oh, I'm glad it did. Uh, uh, yeah, feats of strength. There's a variety of different kinds, uh, and there's different avenues you can go. You can go with, uh, uh, for example, individual feats of strength. In other words, uh, a performance uh, that uh, you know anyone can do in any. Uh, 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 you know, without any uh, appliances or objects or anything, uh, simply mm-hmm. feeds the strength. But, you know, uh, uh, throughout history, and this, this goes back well over uh, uh, probably 100, 125 years, when uh, performers would do uh, feats of strength, you know, back in the day, entertainers, uh, yes. stage, circus, vaudeville, it goes all the way back to the late 19th century. Uh, Sandow was famous. Uh, um, he was uh, made famous, actually, by uh, Ziegfeld, Florence Ziegfeld, the Ziegfeld Follies. Sandow uh-huh. was his first performer. And uh, he would get up on stage, and he would do such thing as uh, you know, tear decks of cards. Uh, he would bend metal, uh, say nails and such things. And... Uh, he would also press a pony, put a pony up in the air, straight arm, and walk across the stage. Now, understand something. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody expect, expects any, uh, uh, to believe that. And the reason I gave that as an example uh, is because, like I say, they were entertainers and performers. Uh, this is during the same time that you had such things as magicians like uh uh, Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini came a little bit later, but nevertheless, uh, things were performed on stage where you had such things as uh, uh, special lighting, you had the black curtains, you had trap doors, uh, and everybody loves to be fooled, let's face it. Right. Uh, 
uh, especially with, you know, magic. Everybody knows that there's a trick to it, but uh, it's trying to figure out what it is. And it's so, so uh, actually the trick is so, you know, difficult to, uh, to uh, imagine. John Gruen Marx was another uh, famous uh, strong man. He would bend uh-huh. horseshoes. Now, up until about 25 years ago, I, of course, my being the resident cynic, I've seen a lot of this stuff, read about a lot of it. I didn't think anyone could bend the horseshoe. I thought that it was some sort of, uh, you know, preparation with a horseshoe. You know, you can do, you can do various things with uh, with metal. You can anneal it, make it softer. You can temper it, make it harder. But mm-hmm. as of late, and I don't want to jump too far forward, I have okay. actually seen people bend horseshoes. Regulation. I'm not talking about the kind for the game you know, with the two stakes and the four horseshoes. I, I'm talking about actual horseshoes that are uh, that are applied to, uh, you know, uh, various types of horses. Um, the whole thing, uh, uh, like I say, is entertainment. And uh, it was on the stage with such, uh, you know, names, like I say, Sandow, John Groen Marx. Sigmund Breitbart was an interesting character in that he would... Uh, he would come out on stage in a Roman chariot with a helmet and everything and uh, 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 six white horses. That's how he would enter uh, on stage. I mean, just a brilliant, you know, entrance. And and um, he would bend iron bars, drive nails through boards. He would bite chains, break chains. Um, with a chain breaking, I mm-hmm. do know that there was such a thing done, like one link would have... Uh, would be uh, tampered with, it would be cut, okay, where it could be removed from the, from the other link. Well, when, they, when uh, uh, he did the performance, he would put clay in that gap, okay, or in the clay naturally was gray like the steel. So, again, he's up on stage, and the people down in the, uh, in the audience couldn't see, and they wouldn't know which link. Well, when he put the chain in his mouth, naturally the saliva... Uh, and would he would fool play. around, and he would he would make it look very difficult, you know, and pull on it and all this stuff, and finally appear as though he had snapped the chain. Um, it was just things like that, and 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 of course you had the uh, the famous Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus back in the early 20th century that would travel with him. They, had, they featured the Saxon Brothers. Uh, the strongest man on earth was Arthur Saxon. He could bent press, uh, you know, 300 plus, uh, 300 and, I think it's 375 pounds. He could two hands anyhow uh, over 400 pounds. And uh, uh, he had Thomas Inch in England. He had the unliftable dumbbell. <clears throat> and all the while, these stage performers would get up there and just to make it the get your attention, they would offer money if you could come up and duplicate any of the feats. It was nothing like 10000 or $1,000 or whatever to get people uh, 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 interested. Involved, and of course, yeah. yeah, and of course, the, the, the thing that you have to always remember, never try to beat a man at his own game. In other words, <laughs> there was trickery involved, especially with the inch dumbbell. There was, uh, you know, the lift it a certain way. Mm-hmm. The dumbbell had a very narrow handle. Most men have wide hands. It was believed that Thomas Inch had a narrow hand and very long fingers. Well, I know where that uh, 
inch dumbbell is, and I've tried to lift it. And the whole trick, actually, it's of course it's strength. Don't get me wrong, but there is a uh, there is a technique, and uh-huh. you have to have a long. It's all in the thumb. That thumb has to be very long. Unfortunately, I don't have very long thumbs like probably Thomas Inch did. Then you had time, you had uh, uh, the, the the great uh, Canadian strongman Louis Sear, who would uh, do his uh-huh. feats of strength, uh, holding horses back, uh, a horse on each side of him strapped to his arms. He would hold the horses, um, and then uh, you know you you go up to uh, the modern day, what I refer to as the modern day strongmen. You had the mighty Adam back in the '60s, actually from the. He passed away in, uh, I believe it was the 70s, but uh, he was famous for a lot of the things he did. He would bite through uh, through uh, nails. Uh, he could hold back. Uh, uh, he could pull cars with his with his hair, tie up his hair, and he could pull a car with his hair. Uh, but again, these are all performers, <coughs> and they they uh, they do things like that. Another gentleman is. Uh, of modern day, and he's still living. He's the tie between uh, what I consider the old-time strongman, like the mighty Adam, and that's the Slim the Hammer Man Farman. He'll take a sledgehammer, a long-handled sledgehammer, and uh, he'll grab the uh, the handle at the at the very end, and he'll straighten his arm and that sledgehammer out, and he'll lower that uh, the head of the hammer down to his nose and back up. And it's just phenomenal to see him do that. I've got a, uh, there's another gentleman uh, You got on the Internet. You can write his name, Dennis Rogers, a very good friend of mine. I talk to him every few weeks. And yes. uh, he gave me a, uh, some years ago, I've got it right here on my desk. It's a, uh, it's a, an adjustable crescent wrench. And uh, let's see, it's a 10-inch crescent wrench. It's chrome-plated, mm-hmm. drop-forged. He took it and he bent it into a U. And I've got it here. Now, how he do- does this, I have no idea. He only weighs about 160 pounds. You know, a lot of these strongmen are big. And if he walked into the room, you'd never know he was a strongman. But he gave that to me. And uh, uh, he has it autographed. Uh, and uh, and signed him. I've had it. My gosh, got the date on it. Um, I think the date yeah, I looked is... him up in a front of link for him too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, January 11th. I'm sorry, January 5th, uh, 2011. So what is that? Uh, eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gave that to me some time ago. I've met him and talked to him several times. And uh, he tears cards, playing cards. One thing about the playing cards that the old-time strongman would would do is uh, uh, it's been uh, it's been said that they would tamper with them in such a way that they would put them in an oven, bake them, and that would make them brittle and far easier to tear. That's why today, if you see any of the modern-day strongmen tear playing cards, they usually leave them in the uh, little cardboard container and uh-huh. uh, in the shrink wrap that they come in. So that way, you know, they pass them around and you look at it and you <coughs> they're, uh, you know that they haven't been fooled with. They're brand new. 
But they'll right. tear the, the playing cards in half, and I've seen them tear them in quarters, which is very difficult. I've seen them take two decks of cards and, uh, and tear two decks at one time. Uh, the dentist has held back uh, um, motorcycles. Um, here's a film, uh, a video, I should say, on the Internet with Dennis Rogers. If you can find it, he's standing there and he takes, he bends five uh, wrenches, you know, wow. open-end wrenches, five mm-hmm. in a row. And one of them he snaps. And he said, it, you know, you can see he shakes his hand real hard because it, it, it hurt him. You know, it, 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 when you are bending something with that much resistance and it snaps, you know, uh, he, he'll do things like that. Um, there's also a local fella that bends, uh, uh, is, is quite a name for himself, the strong man. His name is Don Cummings. He lives near me uh, outside of Detroit here. And, uh uh-huh. Uh, he also gave me an adjustable uh, 10-inch wrench, very similar to the one that uh, I got from Dennis Rogers, and that, too, has been into a U. Um, another modern-day strongman out of New Jersey is Pat Povolitis. His nickname is the Human Vice, and uh, he will lift an engine block as a chain. He'll, he'll, he'll lift it, okay, reach down, grab the engine block, pick it up, he can hold it in such a way where it's resting on his knees and he'll tear cards. Also lifts stones. Uh, he bends horseshoes into a heart. That's his trademark. He's the first one that ever did that. Very difficult to do. Um, and at the end of his uh, performance, I've seen him perform three or four times. At the end of his performance, he puts his hand into a wildcat trap. It's a wow. it's a miniature uh, it's a miniature bear trap. I think you know what I'm talking about. It uh, has uh, jaws, and uh, it's amazing. I mean, just you know, why anybody would do that, I don't know. And, That's uh, actually a magic trick. Uh, um, uh, I when I was young, uh, much much younger uh, than I am now, uh, in Greece, uh, I had the fortune of. Uh, uh, watching these strongman acts and the magi- ma- magician acts, they used to come from village to village and uh, you know do their thing. Um, and uh, the I've seen the straw the uh, bear trap. Yeah, it's dangerous to do, but that is a it is a magic trick. It's knowing it's timing and knowing what to do, um, and it looks impressive as all hell. Right. Well, it did to me. The the difference between the bear trap and the uh, and the uh, wildcat trap is the bear trap has teeth, jagged jagged teeth. Yes. This one has a smooth edge, but nevertheless, when it snaps, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's pretty rough. Uh, snaps hard. But I uh, uh, again, I've I've seen them, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I've seen him do that. Uh, my good friend John Wood, who lives nearby, and is a strong man. Very, very he's famous for his grip. He did a, uh, and I watched this. I was sitting in a folding chair about six feet from him. I was in the front row. He did a uh, neck bridge, and Pat Povolitis stood on him, on his uh, abdomen, while he was mm-hmm. in the bridge position, and then John Wood tore a uh, a phone book in half. So wow. That's, 
you know, when you're doing one thing uh, and then you do two, you have to concentrate on doing two different things or sometimes three. That's uh, that's quite a uh, uh, an endeavor, you know. Um, another gentleman, uh, his name is Mike the Machine Bruce. I met him. He owns a gym, and uh, uh, he doesn't do it anymore, but he had uh, uh, took a piece of re-rod and had his friend, who is also a, a, a strong man, uh, David the Iron Tamer uh, Whitley, would take the, mm-hmm. uh, the re-rod and bend it around his neck. You can see that on the Internet. There's pictures of him uh, uh, doing that. And, and but you know it, it's uh, while we can say that yes there is technique involved there is no doubt strength involved you have yes. to have both you know it's just like Olympic, like uh, lifting an Olympic barbell you know the average person in, in the uh, average uh, public uh, looks at uh, Olympic lifting as well you just have to be strong well that's not the case you have to have technique if one person all things being equal and fair uh, if one person has the technique, he can outlift somebody that is far stronger. Uh, lifting an Olympic barbell is not uh, is not what most people think it is. There's a, there, you know, there's there's flex to that uh, to that bar, and you have to know what you're doing. You have to have the the proper form and technique, and it has to be something that you practice constantly. Um, when I when I reviewed one of your books way back in the day uh, when I lived in Pennsylvania, uh, it was on feats of strength. That was one of the books, and um, I went and got uh, from the dollar store like tons of packs of cards, and uh, um, I talked to the um, local phone company about uh, like unwanted phone books, <laughs> and I had them all oh, over yeah. the house. Whenever I had a sure. moment, I could carry cards, uh, add another card to it instead of half, try to get them in four, you know, and, and I spent lots and lots of time uh, working on those uh, skills. Uh, and although I don't do that anymore, but I, part of me wants to, because I just bought a bunch of playing cards and I don't play cards. So I think part of me wants to get back into it again, uh, but that was a lot of fun. And it, it was very challenging too, trying to beat yourself uh, and what you can tear and uh, uh, how much you can pick up and walk and, you know, all these like grip strength type of things. And uh, right. uh, it, it was amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the thing that, that uh, again, uh, when you have people that um, are not familiar with, uh, you know, strength and, and technique and stuff like that, those are the people you can, you can impress uh uh, you know the most because they think that uh, they go off and think that it's uh, it's all strength and in a lot of cases it's, it's technique. It's not. Right. I, I've I've talked to I've talked to a lot of these men and they said sometimes just the way you're standing or the position of your hand, uh, um, the way you're leaning can make all the difference in the world. Leverage is where it's at. Uh, that that is very true. I used to work in psychiatric hospitals uh, as a therapist once upon a time. Uh, I've done many things. Uh, and uh, they were teaching people, like, techniques to, to immobilize someone um, mm-hmm. who's getting violent. So um, because I'd been uh, lifting a lot and for a long time, I, I saw them and I said, I can get out of that. Uh, so they, they had four people restrain me. And I not only got out of it, I knocked down all four people. 
without expending yeah. a lot of energy because it, it was all leverage. All I did was let my body go limp and lean back, uh, and then yeah. that got them off yeah. balance, and then I suddenly stood up. <laughs> and that's all it took to break the unbreakable hole. So, yeah, yeah. they were – they're very impressed, but it was, it wasn't, it looked like strength because, and, and again, I, I used to lift weights and I was big, so they assumed it was strength, but actually it was a very simple leverage thing that anybody could have done. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, uh, there are certain things you can, uh, you, you can do as far as leverage, the, the, the position you have, especially if somebody is attacking you or, uh, things like that. Uh, uh, somebody that knows what they're doing uh, can immobilize somebody very quickly, you know, depending upon, you know, what where the position of their hands, how they're leaning, uh, mm-hmm. uh, relative uh, uh, comparison of size. One could be tall, one could be shorter, uh, and 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 things like that. Um, but the whole thing around the feats of strength um, is. Uh, did just so many different things uh, that you can do: the lifting of weights, the lifting of cars, uh, horses, humans. This has all been done in the past. Bending bars, uh, nails, horseshoes. Uh, like I say, re-rod of different thicknesses. Coins. Coin bending is a fascinating uh, thing. Some people bend it uh, exclusively with their fingers. Other people will will uh, <coughs> take the uh, the coin and and uh, leverage it with their teeth. I don't recommend doing that, naturally. Uh, no. But it depends on the coin. depends on what the coin is made of. For example, the, the copper pennies back in the day when I was a, a youngster, uh, they were solid copper. Nowadays, they're, they're uh, solid zinc, and they're uh, uh, plated uh, with, uh, with uh, copper. And, and, and the difference is uh, 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 the metals, you know, which one is stronger, you know stuff like that and then there's there's uh depending upon what country you're in some coins are thicker than other coins see um but i've seen people bend quarters i've seen them bend i've never seen anybody bend a nickel uh a nickel is actually made out of nickel um it's not made out of silver and so that's uh you know that's <laughs> yeah that nickel is hard to bend you know um uh, i've seen them bend pennies Fold them over, which impresses me. You know, it's one thing to bend it, say, uh, a quarter bend, but then you uh, you you uh, you know you bend it into a U. Uh, and, but I've never seen uh, anybody uh, uh, do like uh, dollars, you know, a silver dollar. I've never seen anybody do a uh, a half dollar, anything like that. Now, whether it can be done or not, I confess I don't know. You know, uh, again, 25 years ago, I didn't think anybody could bend a horseshoe. <laughs> I thought it was all chicanery back in the day where they would tamper with the uh, with the horseshoes. But I've seen people do it. They're regulation horseshoes that a furrier would buy. You know, just a you know, a standard I don't know if you know anything about horseshoeing, blacksmith no. and stuff like that. We used to have the uh nearby here in Belleville, Michigan, we used to have the uh uh one of the few uh, blacksmith schools in the country, the most famous. And a friend of mine went there, and uh, um, I don't know why he wanted to become a blacksmith because, uh, believe me, it's uh, <laughs> it's hard work. He found that out later. But anyway, um, the first thing they have you do is make all your tools. You make all your tools are homemade. You, they're made by you. 
Okay, you make the wooden box, they come in, and all the tools. Anyway, that's what that school did at the time. But the thing was, uh, they told me about, uh, uh, he told me about shoeing a horse. You have to understand the psychology of a horse. Uh, you know, some people will, if you, you can, you know, line up a dozen different people, some people will tell you uh, horses are the dumbest animal on earth. Other ones will tell you they're extremely smart. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not stupid, okay? The first thing is like a cow. If you talk to anybody milks a cow, uh, if the cow doesn't know you or the horse doesn't know you, the first thing they're going to do is see who's boss. <laughs> right. You know, like a boss. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and what a horse will do if you try to, you, know, you never walk behind a horse. That's rule number one. You can uh-huh. spook a horse very easily, okay? And a horse can really hurt you or even kill you, okay, with those hoofs. But anyway, if uh, if you go and the horse is not familiar with you, okay, and you go into the stall and you're going to uh, repair his hoof or, uh, you know, reshoe or whatever you're going to do, and you go to pick up one of those hoofs, if he doesn't know you and you don't get friendly with him first a few times, he will put all his weight on that foot. He will just lean on that foot, and you're not picking it up. You follow me? Yes. And that 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 head will turn around, and that big brown eye will look at you, you know, like, well, who do you think you are? But if you get to know the horse and and you feed the horse, you know, and you get to know him and stuff like that, and he becomes somewhat less skeptical of you, okay, mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to do it. But picking up that hoof, most most uh, uh, blacksmiths have bad backs, and uh, most of them that are, have any success in the field are not tall; they're short. And there are not many of them over five foot eight. Okay, not that five foot eight is short. Yeah, because of the leverage. You know, you get a tall person. You know, tall people have many tall people have problems with their back. You know, because the world is you know. It's not designed for people that are six foot six, you know. It's just not, mm-hmm. you know. And and uh, you know, lifting that that foot up, and it's uh, the hoof is not, a horse's hoof is nothing more than a giant fingernail, okay. And uh, everything in the, you know, you 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 picture a horseshoe, and and it's uh, it's looped, you know, it's in a curve. Well, picture that center space is all what they call quick. It'd be like you stabbing yourself underneath a fingernail. Well, that's what it is with a horse. If if you don't know mm. what you're doing with the nails. And yeah. uh, usually when a, a furrier is going to shoe a horse, he every horse has a different uh, 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 hoof. All four of them are different. And all four and all horses have a different gait. And and some have just like people. Some are pigeon-toed. Some are knock-kneed. Uh, uh, some have flat feet and stuff like that. Well, a furrier has to know what he's doing in order to shoe the horse so the horse is comfortable and doesn't become lame. But that's another story. Um, my What I'm driving at is uh, uh, those are the types of shoes that they were bent. You can you can buy a uh, like a standard shoe, and then the furrier will take that shoe and he will work it and make it fit the horse. They're all custom, you know. All the shoes are custom. There's even rubber horseshoes. I don't know if you know that. I know that. No, uh, I didn't. In cities, in cities, they use a. Uh, it's like a rubber shoe on the uh, 
on the uh, asphalt and stuff like that. You know, because that that uh, that um, steel shoe in many cases can you know beat the horse to death, you know, and tear everything up. Um, uh, but that was one of the things that I found interesting about the uh, about the bending was the was the was the horseshoes. And then of course there's driving nails into boards. You'll see that many times. Uh, it's usually a pine board, which is a soft wood. But nevertheless, they will. Uh, the strong man will take the uh, the nail, usually a ten penny nail, with a head, and uh, he'll wrap a uh, 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 cloth around the leather or cloth around the top of that and hold it in his in his uh, in his uh, hand in such a way that he can uh, wind up and deliver a, a powerful blow to that board and drive that nail through it. <coughs> I've seen that done several times. Yeah, Besides I've seen that done yeah, besides the tearing of cards, there's also the tearing of license plates. License, or, I'm sorry, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, phone books, phone books. Mm-hmm. There is there is a technique to that. Okay. Yes. Because I've seen young ladies do it that, uh, uh, you know, and it's a thick phone book. But there is such a way that you can do it. That that one is very impressive. But again, it's it's only impressive to the people that are not familiar with it. Yeah. There is there is a certain technique. And and uh, license plates. This is interesting. Back in the day before they had and I remember when they had steel license plates uh which were the forerunner of the aluminum. Now you can just imagine tearing a uh, a steel license plate compared to aluminum. Aluminum is of course not a uh, far softer uh yeah, um, metal, but I've I've seen that done uh in uh, in uh, different ways and there's uh, I explained the chain breaking you know there's legitimate chain breaking you're not going to get into the real heavy chain but uh, you can get into like uh, some of the chains that are used like on uh, uh, playground swings and stuff like that a lighter type uh, I've seen uh, guys break those Uh, teeth lifting Uh, you can make a York Barbell Company used to have a uh, an appliance that you could purchase, what you would do is uh, you would bite down on a piece of cardboard and send it to them, and uh, they would make a, they would fashion a custom leather um, strap with a loop on it, a steel, uh, like a bull ring to it, okay? And you could attach mm-hmm. a chain or a rope or whatever to that, and you could uh, actually, uh, you know, on the other end, you could hold it, the, the uh, appliance in your mouth, and then the other end of the rope or the, uh, chain you would have a uh, uh, barbell plate or whatever weight but what it was designed for was to build up your neck and your back uh-huh. and your traps and stuff like that it was an interesting thing chinning with one finger is interesting uh, that Sandow is could been able to get close with that yeah Sandow uh, was allegedly able to do it with all of his fingers and thumbs wow I've never seen pictures of it, but, and again, keep in mind, these guys are performers and entertainers, so whether it ever happened, a lot of it's publicity stunts and stuff like that, so you you really don't know uh, one way or another. And then there comes uh, a time when you, when you uh, have different uh, uh, other feats, such as... Uh, uh, blowing up a hot water bottle that for some reason is a feat of strength uh which which um, 
demonstrates lung, you know, chest and lung uh, uh, capacity and power. You have to be very careful with that. A lot of guys will either have someone stand behind them and cover their eyes because uh-huh. that, uh, that rubber, when that rubber goes, you know, it can snap you in the eye or wherever. Or uh, sometimes they'll wear safety glasses or they'll put a blindfold on or whatever, you know. But uh, I've seen that done. It's impressive. Uh, um, it shows a lot of endurance, you know, lung endurance and stuff like that. Now, the lifting of weights, I, I consider a feat of strength. Uh, the first man in this in the world that could bench press 500 pounds was uh, an Olympic lifter by the name of Doug Hepburn. He was the first one that did that in the early 50s. And uh, some weeks later, Reg Park, the three-time Mr. Universe out of uh, England, he did 500 pounds. And then uh, uh, Marvin Eater, a bodybuilder out of uh, New York City, he did 500 pounds. And that was all in a matter of, oh, less than a year's time. Isn't but, it amazing how uh, if one person accomplishes it, then uh, you know, all, all of a sudden we break through some sort of barrier collectively yes. within a short yes, period I've, of time people can do it? That's amazing uh, that you say that because that was going to be my next uh, 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 topic was mind okay. over matter. And many of these cases with these strongman uh, 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 type uh, you know, uh, uh, feats that we're talking about, a lot of it. I've, t- I've uh, talking. Uh, I've talked again, like I said earlier, Dennis Rogers. He and I uh-huh. talked. When he discovered that he was very, very strong, I said, "What do you think is the key to it?" He says two things, and of course, I said, "You know," I said, "Well, one's got to be mind over matter." He said, "Yes, mind over matter." But the other one is turning off pain. He says, because when you're doing these things, naturally, the resistance is going mm-hmm. to wear on not only your muscles, your joints, your bones, and the older you get, the harder it is to, you know, ward that off. But he said, those are the two things. Now, the mind over matter, um, to me, is key. Uh, if you can put yourself in a state where... Uh, uh, I'm not saying that it's just you know thinking positive. It has to be. There has to be more to that. But Hercules, I honestly believe, and I'm, I'm not a religious person, but I and I don't want to enter into you know put that in there. But what okay. I'm saying is, I think mind over matter. There's a threshold, okay? There is something there if you can uh, open that gate or if you can pass over that threshold or whatever you want to call it and get into that higher level, okay, uh, of mind control, I honestly feel that that is key to do some of the things. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, some of the things that have never been proven, you know, like the woman who lifts a car off her her, uh, child, you know, because nobody's been able to prove that, okay, that it ever happened, okay. What I am saying, though, and like I say, I discussed this with Dennis Rogers, that there is something there that, you know, uh, you either have it or you don't. And I think that positive thinking is part of it. And you brought up a very good point. And my comparison, the allegory here, is the four-minute mile. 
Okay. Right. The first mm-hmm. man to break the four the four minute mile, and his name escapes me right now. Uh, but anyway, it escapes me broke, too. But I but I remember the me? story. Yeah. The name escapes me too, but I remember the story. Right. Yes. He uh, when he broke that four minute mile, because everybody was trying to do it. I think that the whole thing there was nobody really tried hard enough because they probably had it in their mind, well, nobody's done it so far. Maybe it's impossible. See, that little bit of negativity, I think, Mm -hmm. held people back. But once somebody could do it, then they said, well, hell, if he can do it, I can do it. I can do it, yes. They're off at the races. And then afterwards, several people uh, did that. And there's been other things. You know, not only the the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, running of the uh, uh, four-minute mile, the, you know, breaking that barrier. And that's probably a good word, barrier. You're breaking a barrier with with your mind, you know. Right. Uh, uh, once once you, you see that, you know, somebody else can do it or three or four other people, then it becomes within the realm of possibility, and and that is uh, that I think is 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 a uh, key. But I've seen many uh, many of these guys uh, do these feats of strength, and uh, again, uh, it's uh, it's a uh, it's technique and practice, practice, practice. You know, and and uh, pushing sure. yourself beyond the beyond the pain threshold. I could share a story in this regard that, that that proved what you're saying to me personally. Um, again, when I used to lift heavier weights uh, when I was younger, um, the 300 barrier proved uh, something I couldn't get past. So 298 I could do, <laughs> 300 yeah. I couldn't do. And, and yeah. no matter what I did, that 300 remained a barrier I could not cross. Uh, and then uh, one day I was distracted, and I thought I had done my uh, 298, and it turned out I bench pressed 330 because <laughs> I put more uh, weight on there. Because, uh, again, I was distracted. I figured I was talking to somebody and I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. And once, oh, I, yeah. once I realized that I bench pressed 330, I was able to – it was no problem anymore uh, to bench press you know, 300. Or, you know, and then I, I slowly worked my way up. Um, but uh, that's how strong that barrier is. Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's, Absolutely. You know, yeah, I, I yeah. cannot get past that until I actually got past it, without realizing. Well, there it. have been there have been people that have played uh, uh, tricks on other people. Uh, they will say that there's this much weight in the bar when there's actually more weight. Okay, and so the mm-hmm. person has it in their mind that, uh, say, for example, in your case, uh, somebody tells you that there's 295 on the bar. Well, you go up to it. And you have the attitude where I've done this before, I can do it uh-huh. again. Well, it's actually 305. Right. You see? And you go up there and you start lifting and you say, it's heavy, but you know I've done this before. You see what I'm saying here? I've yes. done this before is in your mind. And you say to yourself, come on, I, I did this before. What's the problem? The problem must be me. Whereas... Somebody tells you there's 300 on there, and you've only the most you've ever done on your best day, your best PR is 295. You say to yourself, "Well, I don't know. I've never done this." You see, you have that 
a little bit of negativity in your mind. And I think that can that can throw people. I think it's a yeah. matter of uh, self-imposed intimidation, you know. Um, and I, I think that uh, has a lot to do with all all forms of athletics, uh, wrestling, boxing, uh, 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 you know, like we said earlier, track and field with the four-minute mile and stuff like that. Any type of competition, it's a head game. And uh, and uh, you will notice that uh, there are certain tricks or certain uh, uh, games people will play, like uh, calling a timeout. If if another team is, is having like a run where everything right. is falling into place and they're doing really well, the, the the team that's taking it on the nose will call for a timeout, and that throws them off. Them, yes. It breaks that, that uh, you know, that... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, momentum, whatever is going on. Yeah, momentum, exactly. Excellent word. Thank you. That that <laughs> momentum, you know, they're on a roll, so to speak, and and I think that that's uh, that's why they do that. And uh, um, uh, but uh, the psychological aspect of anything like that, uh, even in sales, when somebody is uh, is uh, gaining your confidence, okay. They are working on you, and and you're more apt to buy something from somebody whom you like. Mm-hmm. Make a difference what the product is. My father, my father used to say. My father's a very very successful uh, salesman. He would say, uh, 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 "Salesmanship is selling yourself, regardless of what the product is. It doesn't make any difference. You don't have to believe in the product. You don't even have to like the product. You probably have absolutely no use for the problem." Or for the for the product. The fact is, you have to sell yourself. You have to sell your personality, mm-hmm. etc. That's why a lot of salesmen, especially high-end goods, will take people to dinner, take people here, take people there, enjoy themselves, and uh, you get to like the person. Hey, he's a nice guy. You know what's he doing? Whereas, <coughs> in the opposite case, if you don't like somebody, you know. Uh, um, you're not going to buy it if you're, you know, if you're dying of thirst. You're not going to buy a glass of water from them. You just don't right. like the guy, okay? And, and but that's human nature, and, and it's it's never going to change because you're not you're not dealing with logic. If you expect logic from people, you're always going to be disappointed. It's all emotion. Did you Correct. ever notice if if you've worked, for example, any time in your life, if you worked in an auto in a um, office building, mm-hmm. and, and let's say you're working in an area where there's no windows. Okay, and and uh, let's listen to the conversation around lunchtime. When somebody goes out for lunch and comes back, how many people ask that person, How's it, what, "What's going on outside? Is it is it uh, is it still sunny? Is it raining?" Now let's think about this. What do you care? You're in this building, and and you know you've got 72 degrees year round. It's not going to rain. You're comfortable. Why do you care about the weather outside? It's It plays on your mind. If it's mm-hmm. a sunny day, okay, even though you're not out there, if it's a sunny day, you're happy. You know, if you go out there and it's pouring down rain and it's dark, you know, or, or you're in, you know, uh, ice, on, you know, it's cold and all, it, it, it plays on your, uh, on, on your sense of well-being. You know, there was an old uh, old joke, and I saw it one time. But it's not really a joke, but it's a story. It's a story about a man. Uh, 
in the hospital, and a man uh, is, is, has a bed next to him, and uh, uh, they get to know each other and everything. And the man, uh, um, the man nearest the wall is asking, uh, "How's the weather outside?" Okay, and the other the the other man next to him is uh, saying, uh, uh, "The weather? Why do you want to know what the weather is?" Well, I'm I'm dying of cancer, and I would just like to know what the what the weather is outside. And he says, "Well, well, can't you see? Can't you see? Well, I just want you to tell me what the weather is like outside." And the the man catches on. The man is blind. He doesn't even want to tell him. Mm. And the man is sitting next to a wall, and he, the man thinks, the man dying of cancer thinks that there's a window there. So naturally, being a humanitarian that he is, the other man that could see, who was not dying, is telling him about what he sees outside. It's a beautiful day. It's sunny outside. And there's no window there at all. Mm. But it makes the man feel so much better. Right. It's perception. It's suggestion. The power of suggestion. He's suggesting to him that it's a beautiful day. And I honestly feel that that's how it is when you have a situation like we, uh, you know, discussed earlier with, uh, uh, you know, your whole point of view, the sales or uh, uh, anything like uh, liking somebody or disliking somebody. You know, like I said, if, you, <laughs> if you're looking for logic with people, <laughs> nothing's no logical. Logic. No, you're everything is emotion. Yep, everything is, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And and, but with the feats of strength, uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's entertainment. It isn't competition, okay. And and that's Mm -hmm. one thing that people have to remember when you see a lot of these feats of strength that are recorded and what they are and everything. And you have to consider the circumstances. And you know, does somebody tamper with the weights? You know, another thing they used to use back then. and since all the barbells and stuff in the early part of the 20th century all painted black, okay, uh, it doesn't mean that they're iron. They could be hollow globe bells. They could be made out of aluminum. They could be made right. out of wood. See, they're all up on the stage, so you don't know, see. So it's the perception. The man says, this weighs 500 pounds. I'm going to do this feat of strength, and he walks up to it, and he's huffing and puffing, and he's making a big dramatic spectacle see that's something else that they do you know they want the crowd to go crazy and they want everybody to get all fired up and this is going to be a big event and you know it's leading up to the event you know right. of actually being able to uh, do the feat of strength but it's entertainment that's all it, it it's what it's meant to be and that's all it should be taken as you know whereas if you get into olympic uh, sport where they're actually measuring the weights on a scale and stuff like that that's a competition that's that's not entertainment okay and that uh, 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 that is the difference what you brought up before about uh, not expecting logic uh, that is something that again it sounds like many truths counterintuitive but once you realize that you're not going to get a lot of logic when you're dealing with people it frees you from reacting to a lot yes. of you know what happens because yes. Uh, yes. people don't operate logically. We pay lip service 
uh, to logic, but we're, we spend a lot of time reacting to things and we don't even know what things truly are. You know, it's, it's the stories of things are what, you know, captivate our attention. And then we react to the stories and uh, well, that too yeah. is very humbling. But and there's, uh, there's certain things like triggers. If, if you trigger, if, if you meet somebody and you're, you're trying to sell them on an idea or a product or a service and everything, you have to be very, very careful. You have to get to know that customer first because there are certain things that are called triggers. It's just mm-hmm. like dealing with somebody who has a problem with a substance abuse or alcohol, and I've been around hundreds of people in my life that have had that vicious problem. And there are certain triggers. You you uh, want to keep them from being in a particular circumstance because it will trigger, uh, for example, if they're at a party or a big celebration, you know, or if they're very unhappy, if they're depressed, uh, there are certain things that they will become very vulnerable to, uh, to uh, you know, such a thing. So when you're trying to sell somebody something, you have to know something about them so you don't... Uh, uh, you don't intimidate them. You don't feel them, make them feel bad. Like for example, if if the uh, you know kind of have a feeling if whether they can afford something or not, and and uh, stuff like that. Most important thing is is uh, 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 with weightlifting and bodybuilding and stuff like that, especially with young kids in their teens and twenties. What you're selling them is hope. You're selling them a dream. And that's what you're doing. All the way from Charles Atlas on, he was selling kids a dream. A dream, Giving yes. them hope. Giving them and hope that they could better themselves, self-improvement. You know, that's what he was doing. And he was rather good at it. And it still goes on today with the CrossFit and and uh, uh, what is this uh, health club with the purple and yellow? Um, I'm not sure. Planet Fitness, there you go. The the, the one that, uh, you know, they have pizza all the time and everything. Really? And okay. Uh, oh, yeah. You ought to read about it. And it has, uh, what is it? Uh, yeah, there's no uh, no judgment zone. You know, because, you know, you, you take an individual, a uh, 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 male or a female that's never lifted weights and wants to sign up for one of these gyms, you know, one of the, not, not the Planet Fitness, but one of the other ones over the years, you know, you go in there, and these guys are, you know, 250 pounds, and they're huffing and puffing and screaming and yelling, and, and it intimidates them, you know. And they right. feel inferior because this guy is built like a Greek god, and you're a beanpole or you're overweight or whatever. And, uh, you know, that's that's how Planet Fitness came to be. They're selling people what they want. They want to go in there. They want to feel comfortable. They want to jump on their treadmill. Uh, they want to have their pizza and uh, go home. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know what else. I've never been in one. I've driven I've by them, but I've never. Either. Yeah. I haven't even heard of it, so i got to look yeah. be more aware now to, to spot them and check it out. Um, Bill, we're at the end of our journey for today. We have four minutes uh, till the episode ends. Uh, thank you so very much. I always enjoy uh, speaking with you. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that uh, you're a guest on the show. Um, I look forward to our next conversation, and uh, stay warm in Michigan. I certainly will, and thank you very kindly for having me on your show. I always enjoy our conversation. Thank you, as do I. Is there any contact information you'd like to share? I I posted your website and your Facebook page uh, 
um, on Facebook. Is there any other uh, place you'd like me to link to? Uh, no, uh, uh, it's, you know, superstrengthtraining.com. Uh, and most important thing, if you want information like we just discussed, uh, I have a daily, a free daily newsletter, no obligation, and there's many sign-up boxes. All you have to do is sign up with your, uh, you know, first and last name and uh, your email address, and uh, you'll get a free daily email. Uh, the topics vary just like our, our topics have varied, I, as you know, because you, you get the newsletter, so you know what it's about. Yeah, it's an awesome newsletter, and I highly recommend it uh, to anybody who uh, wants to expand uh, their knowledge. And as people notice, uh, I notice certainly, um, Bill, what do you call it, even though he's a legend, he doesn't, and he's a salesman, and he has a successful company, he's not pushing his uh, products aggressively on the show. Uh, the information no. he gives is very trustworthy, and the product speaks for itself. So I, I don't think Bill even needs to really sell it. Uh, people who know what it is, recognize it for what it is, and take it from there. So thanks again. Thank you, Hercules. Have a great evening. My friend. And thanks to all who joined us uh, tonight. Um, we are going to continue with the um, extravaganza next uh, week. And uh, this Wednesday, we're going to have our optimal uh, wellness show. My board seems to have frozen up. So let me get to the closing here. Let's see if I can. No, I cannot. So I guess I'll just have to say uh, goodbye and uh, be well until next time.